Hey everyone, this is the Written by Lauren podcast. I'm your host, Lauren, and today we are continuing with my series, In Her Name, and I will be reading chapters 4 through 6. If you missed the first episode where I read chapters 1 through 3, then make sure to go back and listen to that first before listening to this episode. Chapter 4. Scars Amber lies awake in her bed on Saturday morning. The sun peeks through her curtains, warming up the room. She doesn't move but stares at the ceiling. Time passes as she lies in silence, waiting for something, anything to happen. She half expected to hear her mother slamming doors, yelling at the TV, or even swinging her door open to harass her about still being in bed, calling her lazy and complaining about how she was just mooching off for her good grace by letting her live here while she went to college. If it were up to Amber, she would be living in a dorm, but that's what she gets for not applying in time. Her thoughts are interrupted by the sounds of her stomach growling loudly. She takes a deep breath and sits up swinging her legs over the edge and finally getting out of her warm bed. Still in her pajamas, she tiptoes up to her mother's door and looks at the doorknob. If by some miracle she was home and wasn't bothering Amber, she didn't want to wake her. She reaches for the handle and opens it. The creak is loud as it opens to reveal nothing. Betty is nowhere to be found. Amber steps into the room and looks around. She isn't in her bed or passed out in the bathtub or even slumped over the toilet. Amber makes sure that her mother isn't somewhere else in the house and then retreats to the kitchen. She looks in the refrigerator. Amber needs to make sure she goes to the grocery store to grab a few things. There wasn't much she could cook, but she manages to make herself a breakfast of eggs and toast. She sits at the table in silence, eating her food, wondering if she should go looking for her mother. It wasn't uncommon for her to be gone for a couple days at a time, but she had always at least heard from her by now. She would have called or shown up and become her normal tornado-destructive self. For all she knew, her mother was hanging out with a new boyfriend. But something could be wrong as well. Maybe she wasn't able to call Amber and ask for help. Amber moved her food around with her fork, torn at what she should do. She shakes the bad thoughts from her head. Her mother was fine. She is a grown woman, and she has made sure to remind Amber of that many times, which to Betty meant that she can take care of herself. Amber knew that to not be true. She was an alcoholic which meant she needed serious help. But to Betty? No. She was perfectly fine and didn't need anyone's help. She actually refused help if it involved her getting treatment or if it was to better her life. Amber knew the truth. She has taken care of her mother more times than she could remember, more times than one would think a daughter should take care of a mother at such a young age, even when her mother would hurt her, abuse her to be exact. Amber could have left long ago. She couldn't find it in her sweet, giving, and caring heart to leave her mother or have her locked away. Amber wonders if that was the best decision. Would her mother be a different person had she told authorities what she was really like? Amber's eyes unfocus as she stares off, remembering a time that she wished she could forget, but it's long been seared into her memory like a fresh wound. Amber is ten years old. She is sitting at the kitchen table doing her math homework. Her mother is in the living room watching TV and drinking a beer. A short while later, Amber has finished her homework and is going back to double-check her answers. Her teacher always reminded the class to do that, so they can make sure they don't miss anything important when solving the problems. Betty has also finished her beer, and she gets up, passing by the kitchen table to get to the refrigerator. She takes the beer out and opens it, taking a sip before going and sitting at the table with Amber. Amber doesn't acknowledge Betty right away, as she is in the middle of checking her work. Betty is quickly annoyed in most situations, and this occasion was no different. You aren't going to say anything to me? Amber stops on her tracks and looks up, timid. She never wanted to upset her mother, 
and this time was no different. She had been particularly mean lately since her boyfriend left her earlier this week. Betty was good at only a few things, none of them particularly positive qualities, but one was entertaining men. She never had a problem inviting men over and having them stay for a while, or even roping them into a relationship. Her problem was that they always left. No man had ever stayed more than a couple months. When those men would leave her, Betty would lash out, and most times, Amber was there to take the abuse. And she would always, without a doubt, make sure that Amber was just as miserable as she was. Sorry, Mom. I just didn't want to lose my train of thought. I was double-checking my work. Betty looks at Amber with disgust. She takes another sip and tries to set the can down when it slips from her grasp and spills, covering Amber's paper. Amber jumps up and gasps. Oh, no. Betty chuckles. Oops. Guess you have to start all over. Amber is upset. But, Mom, I'm so tired, and that took me so long to do. Betty straightens up, and Amber instantly regrets saying anything at all. Betty grabs Amber's arm and drags her over to the stove. She flips the burner on. What did I say about talking back? Amber struggles. Mom, no. Please don't. I'll redo my work. I don't care. I'm sorry. Betty forces Amber's arm down onto the hot burner. Amber's eyes widen with fear. She releases the most terrified sound that a ten-year-old should never have to. The room fills with the sounds of her screams and the smell of burning flesh. Betty releases her arm. Amber crawls away, curling up against the counter. Amber takes a deep breath and shakes the memory out of her mind. She looks down at her arm. She can still see the scar that her mother gave her that day. Betty is fine. She doesn't need Amber's babysitting. She constantly fought it anyway. She pushes herself up out of the chair and takes her plate to the sink. Lily and Amber sit outside a small cafe a few blocks from their college. It wasn't the most popular place for students to go, as most of them preferred the chain restaurants and coffee shops, but of course, Amber and Lily both agreed that local was more fresh and cozier. The girls appreciated that and often visited places that prided themselves in quality over quantity. That is, whenever Amber wasn't terrified of her mother complaining about where she was, of course. Lily sips her fresh pineapple juice and sits up a little straighter. Look, Amber, your mom hasn't called or shown up to harass you. I say take this as a sign to actually loosen up. Have some fun. She will come back when she is done with whatever the hell she's doing. She's fine. She's grown and can and has taken care of herself for this long. Amber bites her lip, stirring her coffee slowly. Yeah, I guess. I just... Lily interrupts her. Come stay with me. My parents are gone visiting my brother and his kids and they won't be back for a few days. That way, if she does come back, all that will happen is she's going to call and then you can go back when she passes out again. This did seem like a solid plan. If Amber stayed at her own house, her mother could show up at any time and surprise her. Amber knew if she stayed home, all she would be doing is waiting in anticipation for Betty to come home, and she wouldn't be able to relax. Amber looks up at Lily and smiles a little. Lily was sipping her juice with her eyebrows raised, waiting for her to answer. Well, can't see why you would pass this up, can you? Amber laughs. Okay, I'll stay over. Perfect, Lily says. We can go back to your place and pack your bag. Pickle sits in his basement with his laptop sitting on his lap. He stares at Betty as she lie, curled up on the floor, still chained up, of course. He can't risk having her try and run away. That, of course, would be irresponsible. It would ruin his whole plan. And he had a plan. He had a ritual that must be followed, and always needed to be followed. Besides, it had been too long since his last book. It was definitely time that he wrote something new. Pickle rubs his face, dislodging his glasses from their position perched on his nose. A deep, heavy sigh escapes his lips. 
He closes his laptop abruptly and stands up. Betty shivers at the sound of him moving. He sets his computer down on the chair and slips on his plastic suit and gloves. He opens up a black bag and pulls out various medical supplies, placing them neatly on the table. He turns and walks over to Betty, bending down and placing her back in her chair, adjusting her chains. Her arms are covered in tiny cuts up and down her arm, her legs covered in burn marks, swollen and red, already blistering. Betty starts to struggle. What was this man doing? Was he going to hurt her again? She didn't know how much more she could take. It was cold and her body ached. She wanted it to end. She wanted him to leave her there on the ground, curled up. The man seemed small when she actually looked at him, but his hand felt large and thick as he wrapped it around her neck and spoke with that terrifying voice. She quickly grew to fear. Be still. Betty stopped struggling. She knew it would be worse if she didn't listen to him. Pickle tends to Betty's wounds. He cleans them and wraps them up. He stitches her eyebrow. He is frustrated with himself about that. It was a mistake. He didn't mean to hit her across the face, but it wasn't his fault. Betty wasn't listening to him. She was being loud, and she had to be punished. People who act up have to be punished. That's how it's supposed to be. Fickle steps back and admires his work. He nods, pleased with himself. She would be fine. She wouldn't die from the wounds he was giving her, and she shouldn't get any infections. He knew how to treat them. Pickle's stomach growls. How long had he been down here? When was the last time he ate? This sort of activity took a lot out of him, and he needed to keep up his strength. He takes his gloves and suit off, grabs his laptop and heads back up the steps and out of the basement. The door closes and Betty is left alone. Chapter 5 Betty The bar at the edge of town wasn't one that people who wanted a casual drink went to. It was old, and the dust that layered the light fixtures was thick, and it would have set off anyone with even a slight allergy to dust. The dried layer of booze on the floor was apparent with the loud sound of the stick as people walked across it. Betty sits in her usual area at the bar in between two men. They laughed as they finished off another pitcher of beer. One of the men looks over at Betty. So how's your daughter? How old is she now? Betty looks at the man as she pushes her glass away. Nineteen. Twenty at the end of the year. And she's just fine. Going to her big fancy college so that she can get out of this shit town. Betty shakes her head and motions for another drink. The man who spoke chuckles. Kids always want to get out, don't they? You tell her to come see me. I'll give her a little lesson in growing up. Betty ignores his comment. The other man steps down from his bar stool and holds out his hand for Betty to take. With as much poise as his inebriated self could possess, he spoke. May I take this dance? Betty looks at him and then looks at the other man. Joe, look at this idiot. They both chuckle and Joe responds. Well, are you going to leave him hanging? Go on. Dance with him. Give old Bill a show. Betty shakes her head but gets down, taking Bill's hand as she follows him to the dance floor. The night air is cold and stings the skin of Betty and her two male companions as they walk to their cars. They stop at Betty's first. You good? Need one of us to take you home tonight? Betty shoes them off. Oh, shut up. You two are just as far gone as I am. The men chuckle. Well, the offer still stands. Joe winks and Betty opens her car door. Go on home to your wives, you drunk fucks. Oh. Wait. They both divorced your asses. They both laugh and give her the finger as they stumble over to their own cars. Betty gets in and slams the car door shut. She takes a big sigh and rubs her face. She fumbles around with the key before putting it in the ignition. Suddenly an arm is around her neck, 
squeezing. She panics and claws at the arm that is constricting her breath. It's no use. The person behind the arm is strong and won't budge. She can feel her eyes getting heavy. They want to roll back, but she tries to fight it. She reaches for the steering wheel. If only she could get to the horn. The seat is being moved back so that she is no longer able to touch the wheel. Betty's eyes roll back and she becomes limp. Betty's eyes flutter open. She doesn't know where she is. The ground is cold and hard. It's dark except a dim yellow light in the middle of the room. She tries to move, but she feels weak, and she has a splitting headache. She tries to sit up once more, but there is something on her ankles. She looks back and sees thick cuffs around them, and chains connected to that. Her mind races as she scrambles up, reaching for the chains. She pulls at them, but to no use. They are stuck into the ground. She pulls anyway. They don't budge. She changes her tactic and begins trying to pry the cuffs off herself. But again, she fails. A stern voice from the shadows is heard. You won't be able to get out. Betty feels as if her heart stops. She whips around in the direction of the voice and begins backing away. The chains prevent her from getting too far away. Who's there? She sputters out. Where am I? The stern voice doesn't respond. Betty doesn't know what to do. Her heart starts racing as a number of scenarios run through her mind. What does she do? She has to get out of this situation. But how? The stern-voiced man is in the shadows, so she can't tell how big he is. If you don't let me go, my daughter will call the police, and they are going to come looking for me. Betty strains her eyes. She's trying to make her eyes adjust quicker to the dark so she can better see the man. No one is going to come looking for you, the voice says. Betty spots him. The outline, that is. It looks as if he is sitting. Legs out straight, maybe? It's hard to tell. Betty continues. Yes. Yes, my daughter will call the police when I don't return home. The voice responds almost immediately. You not returning isn't abnormal. Amber will worry for a bit, but she will soon feel relief when you haven't returned home to harass and abuse her. His voice gets angrier as he finishes. Betty doesn't move. Has this man been following her? How does he know Amber? She swallows. You know Amber. Did she put you up to this? The man doesn't respond. Betty gets louder. How do you know Amber? Still no response. Betty gets upset and yells, Who the fuck are you? Let me go. Let me go. The man stands up quickly, knocking the chair he was in over. A loud clatter is heard. Quiet, he yells. Betty is startled, so she stops. The man steps closer, but is careful to not step into the light. Betty watches him. What is he going to do to her? The man faces towards Betty, still in the shadows. He speaks in his lower but still very stern voice. You will do as I say. If you cooperate, your time here will be slightly more bearable. And if I don't, what are you going to do? Kill me? After Betty speaks, there is a pause before the man responds again. I did not say you could speak. My last command to you was for you to be quiet, and you will be just that until I say, and to answer your question, no, I will not kill you for disobeying me but I will make you wish I had. Betty wonders what the hell kind of fucked up piece of shit this man was, but something tells her he wasn't lying. The man speaks again, and I know you want to ask me something else, so go ahead. Betty watches him for a moment before responding. Her voice is softer. What are you going to do to me? The man walks over to a table off to the side. He flips on a small desk lamp illuminating the table full of assorted tools, knives, and contraptions that Betty has no idea what they are. I'm going to hurt you. I won't kill you. 
yet. Your last days will be slow and painful. The same life you have given to your daughter for her entire existence. The man looks at Betty and she stares at him, her head still pounding. She knows she has to get away from this insane person. Betty starts screaming as loud as she can. She yells with all her might. This can't be how she goes. She will get away. Someone will hear her. They have to. In just a few long strides, Fickle has crossed the basement and taken Betty by the neck, lifting her up, her toes not touching the ground. Betty claws at his arms, struggling to get away. For such a small man, he had the strength of someone much larger. He talks through his teeth. You will not escape from me. Do not try, or I will have to rip the tongue from your mouth and force you to swallow it. He removes his hand from her neck, letting Betty drop to the ground, gasping for air. He steps back and grabs something from the table, a long metal pole. He walks back over to her and lifts his arm as she continues to gasp for air on all fours. He swings, making contact with the side of her head and slicing her eyebrow open, knocking her out. The girls walk down the sidewalk towards Amber's house. Billy talks as Amber listens, smiling and nodding when appropriate. So then Troy dropped me off and he said he was going to call me when he got home, but then he didn't call me, so I thought maybe he didn't have a good time and he just didn't want to tell me to my face, but then he called me like super early the next day and was super apologetic, and he said his phone was dead when he got home. So he put it to charge and took a shower and then went to bed and forgot to call after that, so it's fine, and we're going out again. Lily chuckles. Amber turns and looks at her. So are you guys, like, dating now, or is it too early? Just then a car drives up and slows to a crawl next to them. The girls both turn to see who it is. Just as the window is rolled down and the man hangs out, he waves at the girls. Amber smiles a little and waves back. Hey, Joe. Hey, Amber. How's it going? How's your mother? Lily looks at Amber when she responds. Oh, well, she's fine, I guess. Amber doesn't know what else to say. She assumed her creepy drinking buddies would know where she was. She thought that they would all be together. So if Joe is asking where she is, then there must be something wrong. Her mother was always either at home or with them, occasionally with a random fellow. But Joe would certainly know where to find her if that were the case. Why was he over here asking about her? When was the last time you saw her, Joe? The girl stopped walking and Joe presses the brake. She was at the bar two weeks ago, I think it was. Amber's heart skips a beat. She nods. Right. Well, I'll see you around, Joe. I should get home. Amber grabs Lily's arm and starts walking again. Joe watches them rush off for a bit before reversing and leaving. Lily grabs her computer and types something in. So do you want to order pizza? We can do that and watch some movies for the night. Amber slumps down into Lily's giant bean bag. Yeah, sure, she says. Lily looks over her computer at Amber. She closes it and sits up straight. All right, Amber. We need to talk about it, so... Start talking. Let me in. I want to help you. Whatever that means. She raises her brow and waits for Amber to say something. She sighs. I think I should go to the police about my mom being missing. What if something happened to her, and she isn't staying away on her own accord? Lily scoots to the edge of her bed. She is hesitant. You think something bad could have happened? I mean, wouldn't we hear something about it on the news? Lily's voice trails off at the end, not wanting to be disrespectful. Amber takes a moment to think about that. She shrugs. I really don't know, but seeing Joe earlier really freaked me out, and it just has my mind thinking the worst possible things. Chapter 6 Detective Larson The girls walk into the police station the next morning, not knowing what to expect. Amber had been inside this exact police station before, but she was much younger. 
and she was terrified then and didn't really remember the process. They walk up to the reception desk and are greeted by the older woman behind the desk. The nameplate on the desk says her name is Rosie Harper. Good morning, ladies. What can I do for you? Amber looks at Lily. She nods and gives her a reassuring smile, touching her arm gently. Amber looks back at the woman and clears her throat. Yes, I would like to report a missing person. Amber's heart is beating fast and her palms are sweaty. Rosie looks between the girls. Of course. Let me go get Detective Larson. She is over our local missing persons department. Rosie stands and heads through the door behind her. Lily looks at Amber. Hey, you don't have to be scared. Everything is going to be all right. Amber nods and tries to believe her words. The door opens back up and out walks a tall, attractive woman with a long, dark ponytail, thick eyebrows and a stern look upon her face. Rosie follows close behind. Here they are, detective. Larson walks over to the girls and holds out her hand, shaking both of theirs. Hello, can you two follow me to my office? Now both girls are a little nervous, but they nod and follow Larson to the back of the station to her office. Please have a seat, ladies. She motions to the seats in front of her desk, and she takes hers. She gets some paperwork together before grabbing a pen and looking at the two. So what we are going to do now is take down a few details about the missing person and where they were last seen. That sort of thing. And of course some information on you two as well, since you are reporting the incident. So can I get both of your names? Amber nods. I'm Amber, and this is my friend Lily. She's just here for, um, moral support. Larson writes as Amber talks. I see. Well, that's fine. What are your ages? Amber once again answers for both of them. We're both 19. Larson continues to write, looking up at the girls on occasion during the conversation. And the missing person. Name? Relation? How long have they been missing? And the last place seen? Amber's nerves start acting up again. Would she get in trouble for not reporting sooner? Would Detective Larson understand why she hadn't done it sooner? Bethany Hill, and she's my mother. Amber calms her breathing and continues. She's been missing for two weeks and she was last seen at the last call bar at the edge of town. Larson stops writing and looks up at Amber. She studies her face and her body language. She looks back down at her paperwork and writes, Is there a reason why you're just now reporting her missing? Amber was prepared for this question. She knew she couldn't lie about her mother, not this time. Yes, she, um, it's not uncommon for her to go missing, but she always comes back. Larson doesn't miss a beat. And why do you think this time is different? Larson has stopped writing and is back to looking at Amber. She's never been gone this long without her friends knowing where she was or having reached out for some reason or another. Is your mom involved in any illegal activity? Well, no, I mean, she she drinks. Larson stares at Amber. Okay, well, she's an alcoholic. Larson nods. She was last seen at last call. And does your mother have a car? How does she get around? Yes, she has a car. Detective Larson turns and opens her file cabinet. Flipping through some folders, she pulls out a piece of paper. All right, Amber, is there anything else you would like to tell me about your mother? The girls walk out of the station an hour later. Lily is the first to speak. I'm proud of you, Amber. You did really great in there. She wraps her arm around her friend. Amber felt drained after Detective Larson had finished with them, but it was done. She had reported her mother to be a missing person. Now it was up to someone else to figure out where she was. Amber heads over to Lily's car. Thanks, and thanks for coming with me. The girls get in the car and close the doors.
driving off, leaving the police station and Detective Larson behind for now. Detective Larson watches from inside the police station as the girls drive off, wondering if they had told her everything she needed to know in order to find Betty. She headed back to her desk and finished up her paperwork. Larson leans back in her chair. She tilts her head to the left and right, cracking it on both sides. She stares at her computer for a moment. She thinks back to the two girls from earlier. There was something off about them. Were they hiding something? It seemed like it. Did they know where Bethany was? Was she actually missing? Did she run off on her own, or was there something more sinister trying to be covered up? Larson wonders if she should follow the girls. Maybe they would reveal something. People don't just go missing in this town. There was usually a logical explanation, and they would turn up within a couple days. The town had its fair share of drug and alcohol-related crime, but missing people? Not so much. This case, however, something seemed... Familiar? Or maybe it was just the way the girls presented it to her. That could simply be explained away as well with nerves or something else. But that was Detective Larkin's job to figure out, and she would soon uncover this town's sinister secrets. Alright everyone, that's it for today's episode. Come back next week for another installment of In Her Name, and in the meantime, if you want to reach out, Maybe ask me some questions about the series or the podcast in general. You can find me on Instagram at written by Lauren podcast. Thank you guys for listening and I hope you are enjoying the series so far. See you guys next week.